This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Dagan, that's Eric, that's Matt. Guys, today we're digging into Psalm 40. That is Dagan's favorite psalm. Um, I mean, really, when when you're looking at a book that has 150 chapters, I mean, you can literally just stumble into any of the psalms and get something of value out of it. And before I tee you up, Dagan, the thing that's interesting is each one of these psalms can kind of be broken up into, okay, this group of verses is talking about this or this group of verses is talking about that. Very few of them, I I feel like I've seen just split like smack dab, almost like right in the middle. The first 10 verses of Psalm 40 are surrounded around Thanksgiving, okay? But then it's followed up immediately with verses 11 through 17 being a lamentation. And so I found that to be very interesting, but you know, here we are into our, our third Psalm and this is our third, uh, you know, Psalm from David and there's lament, there's Thanksgiving, there's understanding about this. And, you know, the next Psalm is going to be very interesting in terms of uh, the breakdown as well. But I know for you specifically, because we talked about this a little bit off air, the very beginning part of Psalm 40 is very, very important to you, right? It is. And, you know, Psalm 40, uh, for me growing up, Growing it to church camp in Canacock, there was actually a praise song called Psalm 40, and it was a song written by you too. Eric, you might have might oh, yeah. have played that. So sure. You know, hearing like you uh, two have this kind of worship song really around the first couple of verses um, kind of planted that seed in me, uh, you know, as a young kid and then all the way through. And and it's <clears throat> it really is that first part that I'm gravitated to. I, I kind of see it broken down. There is like an early Thanksgiving and a late lament, but I, I have kind of seen it in three parts where it's like verse one through five is praise God for all that he's done. Six through 10 is give God all that he asks. And then 11 through 17 is trust God for all that remains, right? So it's, it's, it's praise him, give him what he asks. And then, hey, everything else you don't have figured out, we're just going to trust God to, uh, to, to kind of fill in the gaps. But, you know, right out of the gate, you know, I, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Like those two lines, like I, I can wait, you know, like I think we've been conditioned. Like there are just times like a hurry up and wait. I can wait, but I am not patient. Right. And there's mm-hmm. a difference between um, waiting and waiting patiently. And uh, you know, so th- this is David is, is right out of the gate is just addressing, like saying, Hey, like, Hey everybody, like I went, Sometimes you, sometimes you wait, like we, what we've said before on a, on a previous uh, session where we talked about eager anticipation, right? Like, hey, I'm waiting, but it's waiting in anticipation of, of, the, of the, the knowing deliverance of whatever I'm, I'm crying out for. Yeah, that's Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And again, yeah, that we talked about it, waiting being not just waiting, you know, sitting there just biding your time, but yeah, you're eagerly anticipating something's going to happen. Yeah. And so this one, he's like, I waited patiently for the Lord. So he's, he's, he is not in anticipation. He is sit back and I, I need to be patient. And that's good for me. Um, just, just in being a husband, being a dad, being, uh, you know, a business owner, like, um, 
patience is a good thing to practice when it's, you know, especially when it doesn't come naturally. Yeah. And it's interesting in, in Psalms 39, it says, David says, I will wait. And then the order of that, you know, Psalms 40, I, I did wait, you know, here's, here's the result of that. Well, and then it's, is it, does it seem like to you guys as well? I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Um, it's almost like David put his posture in, in this patient state. And then it's like, okay, he was able to understand that God was inclining him that it's like, okay, God heard my cry, but not because I was patient because God is God and he is just, and he loves me. But that, that again, for a guy that has literally no patience whatsoever, that's an interesting thing. Like the entire beginning of this Thanksgiving was off the back of, I waited patiently, which yeah. is interesting. Well, it's, a, you know, if, if you've got a kid and, and that kid's been put, you know, told to sit someplace and they are not happy with it and they know that you will return. Um, but that doesn't mean they're happy with where they're at, right? It's, it's I'm going to continue to cry. And the crying is happening, right? David is, is decided to wait. He is, he, is, he is acknowledging that he needs to be patient in the wait. That doesn't mean that he's going to be quiet or happy with having to wait. So it's in the, like with, with the toddler, you know, if, as long as they don't get up off the couch and come find you, you know, they're still there waiting and they're being patient, but that doesn't mean they're happy about it. So it's like, even in the midst of waiting on God, like, you know, cry out and let him know uh, constantly and, you know, fervently, like, what is your request and what do you need from him and who is he to you? Um, and then the fact that it's like, he inclined to me and heard my cry. It's like, and what an awesome picture of, of God, like giving a rats about me, you know, like, Hey, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to wait. Um, and I'm a whiny, whiny baby. and I'm going to wait for whatever. And, and like that, that who am I that God would like incline to me? So like basically turn to me and, and hear my cry and, and, and have some type of response. It's like a contrast to that is when Saul, King Saul, was waiting to go into battle against the Philistines and, and he was waiting for Samuel to come and perform the sacrifice. And it says, you know, the Bible says uh, he waited seven days and everybody's getting really anxious and some of those guys are starting to depart. So Dave, or King Saul's like, oh, hold on, hold on. I'll just, I'll take care of this, right? So he goes and does his own sacrifice. And then, of course, as soon as he's done, here comes Samuel. He's like, what have you done? You dummy. You know, and, and, and then what does that lead to? It leads to him having the kingship taken away from him and given to someone else. Of course, we know it's David. I think patience or waiting is kind of a theme of David's life. Like, this isn't the first time he talks about waiting patiently. So, clearly, he's either come accustomed to it at this point or is used to waiting patiently. But I love what Kyle says. Like, he is, he is going to, he's a loving God and he's going to come. So, waiting just part of it sometimes when he was seemingly in a habit of that because when you go down to verse three he put a new song in my mouth a song of praise to our god many will see and fear and put their trust in the lord but he put a new song in my mouth that begs the question what was the original song like was he really complaining was he whining was he everything that i do whenever i'm impatient complaining whining and oh my life's so terrible as i sit here and wait in this air-conditioned building for this thing to happen (laughs) on my schedule and so it makes you wonder because he he doesn't really allude to it. I don't guess Dagan like what what was the old song because the new song on his mouth is a song that is leading others to see that song to to hear that and to then put their trust in the Lord. Right, and isn't that just such a such a picture of like becoming a believer is 
is trying to, there, there's something different, right? We're, we are set apart. And for other people to see that, to, to see how you live that, Hey, the things of this world that should beat you up and put you like in a huddled ball in the corner, they don't like, why, what is different about you? What is that? And that new song is contagious, right? The new song uh, that he puts in the heart, like God's song is, is contagious and it, and it brings people to it, has a gravity to it that brings people to it. Um, but I think it's funny. It's like, you know, many will see in fear. It's like, well, you're a pretty bad singer. If you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. God put a new song Yikes. in my heart yeah. and, and everyone, Hey, everybody. Oh, everyone's, everyone's fearful now. That's, I, I like to think about how, how that <laughs> maybe could apply today. Like what, what's the same old song and dance we hear from everybody? Oh, woe is me. I'm a victim. This happened to me. Why did this happen to me? This shouldn't have happened to me. I'm a good person. And then, and then, I, and then I think about, okay, then once you become a Christian or you have a regenerate heart, then, then you, do, you are singing a new song. It is, it, it, or you should. You know, you're, you're going from, oh, woe is me. I'm this victim to God is sovereign. Even though all these bad things happen to me, like I can have joy that I find in the Lord. And so like that even applies to us today. And I think that's just really cool that even in today's world, woe is me, I'm the victim. We can have a song or a new song, sing to the joy of God. When we're putting our trust in our victimhood now, mm-hmm. like there is currency in victimhood. I mean, you talk to, you don't have to go back to our great grandparents generation or even grandparents generation, just our parents generation. And just those of us are early enough because I'm an older millennial, I guess, like this idea that, you are praised for not being an overcomer. You're praised for having no resilience, but also you're, you're handed victimhood status by something that you didn't choose, right? You know, your, your skin color or your gender or your athletic ability or something like that. But again, it goes back to what are you putting your trust in and are you straying towards the lie, which is that, I mean, that's verse four. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after the lie. Because the lie, Matt, is you're a victim, thus you are owed this, mm. that, and the other thing. But not from yourself, not even from your family of origin, from society in general. And we will coalesce society around you and your chosen identities and or your immutable characteristics because feelings or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, and that all leads to destruction. And I think one of my favorite parts of this psalm is he drew me up from the pit of destruction. God drew me out of... and. Destruction can be lots of things. Like, I think you can look at it as sin. Like, sin is our destruction, and God pulled me out of that. Um, and I, I really love what, what Spurgeon says here. He, he has this little paragraph. He says, I mean, he, he's always talking about Christ. The Redeemer's work is done. He set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. And, I mean, like, what a great picture. Like, he pulled me up out of the pit, and he set my feet on this solid rock, where, I, where before I wasn't on any solid footing. And now, because my faith is in the Lord, God pulled me up and set me on solid ground. Yeah, the, and the solid ground is where you want to build your house. We've right. mentioned that before. And so on the rock is where you build your life um, and that identity you find in Christ. I was reminded, though, of the miry clay. If you go back in Jeremiah, remember, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Mm-hmm. Nobody liked that guy. It, it, well, anybody that didn't want to hear what God had to say didn't like him. And so at one point, he was thrown into a cistern. Um, he, he was in jail, if I remember correctly. So he was actually getting fed, but he was thrown into a cistern and left there to basically to die. And so he had a, he had a friend, I think his name was Zedekiah, that saw that and was like, man, 
we don't want Jeremiah to die. <clears throat> so he went and asked the king, he said, can we go get him out of that? The king allowed him to get 30 guys, 30 guys to, to come get him out of that miry pit, that, that clay. And it's funny in there, they put in, uh, he said that he took a bunch of cloths or rags or something with him so that he wouldn't harm Jeremiah pulling him out. That's how bad he was stuck down mm-hmm. in that. They didn't want to rip his arms off trying to get him out. So anyways. Well, and that's, you know, the word picture of, of, you know, you could be in a pit, but at the bottom of the pit is a bog, right? It's like, if you ever mm-hmm. tried to walk through and it's like you're leaving shoes and socks and everything yeah. behind you, it's, there is a suction to it that is wanting to keep you there. And, you know, the, Hey, he didn't just rest me, rescue me from a pit. Yeah. Like, I might like I needed to be pulled out and I needed, some pits you can get out of. Yeah. This not, one, he not could this not. one. Yeah. Yep. And what a perfect picture of the gospel, right? Like this is not something we can get ourselves out of. We need a God who loves us, who will come get us. And he does. Love it. So one thing that's interesting about this first part as well. And if, if y'all have anything more on a four or five, I don't want to mm-hmm. just skip, go ahead into verses six through eight, but there's some, is there, some very interesting things happening with verses six through eight um, because verses six through eight was actually used by the writer of Hebrews in the new Testament because many Christian Jews were tempted to go back to the salvation by law model. Mm-hmm. So or gospel and gospel plus or whatever um, and not salvation by faith alone. Uh, so no more old Testament sacrificial blood system. Like, I mean, they, they were kind of working in that area. So as we dig through verses six through eight, I'll read verse six here. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. The thing that's interesting about the line, but you have given me an open ear, another way that it's been translated, it is ears you have dug for me. And again, that attaches to Hebrews, and that's uh, Hebrews 10 verses 5 through 7. Ears you have dug for me. That, that, that just hits way different than the ESV, which is you have given me an open ear. Because you don't, when someone says, I've given you this open ear, there's not the, you don't get that active ideal of you have (laughs) this unfinished head blob that doesn't have ears yet. And somebody, because somebody's going to dig those ear holes for you, culture, uh, society, your family, someone's digging those ear holes for you. But God's like, no, no, no. I dug them. Not only did I create the blob that was there to begin with and the soul inside of that blob, I dug your ears out. I found that to be like incredibly fascinating. Well, and I, I almost think of it as like, hey, our ears are there and they are listening to the lies, right? Like earlier, it talks about those who follow the lies, like our, our ears, our, our, our earthly ears that are flesh and on our head are there and they, they have all kinds of input, but it's like God has dug you an ear. It's like he almost put an ear on your forehead yeah. and he's like, that ear is for me. Like that ear hears my voice and hears me and, and it you know, it, you're not, it, it's not competing with all the other noise. It's an ear that I have given you. Uh, and it is open to me. Well, I yeah. didn't even really necessarily think about that part real quick while, uh, you know, Browning coughs up a lung over there. I say that my voice cracks like once every half hour. I hope you guys are, are having that, but it's like, because he's the crafter of the ears, he gets to choose what direction they're pointed in. Right. And so it's like, if you're building an antenna or if you're building I guess anything you get to, if you're building a house, you get to decide, you know, which windows the, the sunset will go into, you know, like, like that type of a thing, because you're the one that built it. So you get to, to make that call. 
which is still very interesting. Yeah, and to me, it was kind of this reminder that we true deep down inside we know we know what's right and wrong, you know, because that's God put it in us to know that, and so our ears the same way. So, but 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 it is possible to let culture. Uh, speak those lies to almost in a, in a way kind of reform how we perceive the world around us. Um, and that can be tragic, obviously. So think, go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say, I think in the sacrifice and offering, I think it, it, like it's, it's about the heart of how we come to sacrifice and offering. You know, he's not saying that I will not do this or I'm not negating this. It's the heart. So, you know, it's kind of like, um, Cain and Abel, God only accepted one offering and it was Cain's who was not accepted because his heart wasn't in it. His heart, his heart was in the wrong place and he, he had a, a bad attitude. And I think that's kind of what I take out of some of this in verse six is you've not delighted in my offering because I, I, my heart wasn't in the right place. And if, if our heart's not in the right place, yeah, God doesn't want that. Yep. And it's, and it's interesting then uh, ironic that <clears throat> Jesus became that perfect offering, even though it says here, he did not delight in offerings. He, he delighted in the ultimate offering of Jesus. When I wonder as well, so going back to that whole idea of God being the one that dug out the ears for you, pointing them towards him to where, or making, you know, the, the ear hole and the sensory organs and all that stuff that goes into that, that I don't fully understand making that sensitive to his voice and to hear his voice. What kind of actions do we have to take to point them in another direction? Because even if we're being influenced by, by society or culture or someone else to hear their message, we have to acquiesce to that message. Like we have to point, we have to allow, I guess our ears to be pointed in the direction of those siren songs that are coming from other places. And so it's like, how can we go from something, but again, here I am like lamenting something that, look, we have a very secular culture that got that way for a reason. Like how does, how is secular humanism a thing? Like if, if we're made in the image of God and, you know, we're given signs that point directly towards him, like how are some of these worldviews, how's communism a thing? Like how is, you know, any of these types of things, like how do those, those worldviews come? And I guess it speaks to the craftiness of the devil as well, because the devil is a craftsman. And so uh, he can obviously divert our attention and he, he can't change, you know, you can't change the clay because, you know, he didn't invent the clay. He didn't mold the clay. He didn't do anything, but he can divert the attention of the clay. He can bust it up. Yeah. You know, he can change it. And well, it's, it seems like to me that it's, it's for, for, for me personally, it's, you know, tell me a half truth still looks pretty good, but then give me that instant gratification. I don't have to wait for this. I can have it now. It, it sounds good. It looks good. I mean, it was the same thing with the apple, you know, it looked good. Yeah. It looked like it'd be super tasty and I can have it right now. You know, why not take it? Yeah. He can't create anything. He sure can twist it. And that's, that's, that's where it goes. Well, have you ever like around Christmas time, especially, um, have, have you ever like tried to walk through Best Buy with your wife and have a conversation? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not. Like, like there, you want to talk about distraction. It's like the TVs all look yeah. amazing and they're shining and then the stereo stuff's going and all the, it's like, it's all of this, this sensory overload challenging for the attention of the conversation that you're trying to have, right? So that's, it's, it's, you, you ask, like, how do we turn our ear away? It's like, man, it's almost like, how can, I, how can I possibly have this conversation walking through Best Buy? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, we live 
in Best Buy at Christmas. Right. And everything that we're seeing, hearing, smelling is not good for us. Well, isn't it a common complaint that men have, Christian men, I'm just not hearing God. Mm -hmm. I'm just not really... I can't really, I don't feel his presence. I don't feel his guidance. I don't mm. do any of those types of things. And, and Browning just bounced yeah. his finger off, off the good word. But the thing is, is like when you wake up and you immediately start scrolling, you go to Instagram, then you go to Twitter, then you go to Facebook, then you check your email and then you go back and you start the, like from the moment you wake up, you're, you know, taking your morning dump and here you are just like, you're, you're right there oh. in the thick of it. And then you transfer from that to podcasts and then you, you know, do the family thing for a little bit, but then you hop in the car music or podcasts or something like that. And then you get to the office and you're doing your work and you got stuff playing in the background. And then you go to the bathroom at work and you take your phone with you because, you know, if you go to the bathroom and you realize you don't have your phone, you got to go back to your desk and get it and then go back because, you know, obviously you can't, <laughs> yeah. you can't use the restroom without it. Like it's, it's an essential something, tool. ESPN's got something new to tell it's me. It's more right? essential. Yeah, it's no more doubt. essential than toilet paper at yeah. this point. But like we are constantly in a state of distraction and noise and and it's right there at our fingertips. And I am like the, f- the worst about it right now. I will say, oh, well, I'm working right I'm finding news and I'm finding stuff to talk about on the show. And I'm like doing all those different things. But then whenever there's silence for five seconds, I'm like, whoa, you got to fill this gap with something. But then it's like, what if God is yelling at me and I still can't hear him because my entire life is Best Buy right? Mm-hmm. There's screens, there, there are headphones, there are all those different things. And even when we go out into the nature, like I'm kind of, you know, uh, embarrassed to admit this, but last year I went on a hunt in Colorado, a black bear hunt, and some other guys were hunting elk. And here I am sitting on the side of the mountain. I'm in God's creation. I'm like, and I'm a mountains guy. I'm not a beach guy. The beach has way too much potential of sunburn. So I'm up there in the mountains and I'm covered up and all those different things. And I'm listening to an audiobook. Why? Well, because I need to talk about it on the podcast and I got to talk about it on my right. end of year book podcast and all those different things. I'm in nature waiting for an animal that God could provide for me that could feed me and other families, but I got to do two things at once. And like, what an amazing opportunity that I missed for three or four days. I knocked out that book. Book was awesome. But, you know, I, I had just completely crowded him out because the maker, the guy who dug my ears out, I gave his ears to something else. And that other thing wasn't bad yeah. necessarily, but it just wasn't, what was it? What were we talking about in the, uh, the last Psalm we went over Psalm 34, where it was like, it, it wasn't, Oh, like when we were talking about when you're taking refuge and taste that the Lord is good as well, that back in uh 34, eight, like, it's not that the things that we're doing are necessarily bad, but there may not be for us in that moment. And God's got something sweeter for us. And we're just not listening. Yeah. yeah. What are you tethered to? And like the word, like, God, God has spoken to us. If, if you want God to speak, Paul Washer says it this way. If you want God to speak to you, read your Bible. Yeah. If you want to hear him audibly, read it out loud. And that's good. I, I, I really love that because I think we're constantly looking. Can I and go out in nature, do, do all that stuff. But I think as guys, we're always looking for, well, can I go out and in the woods and God speak to me? God speaks to me every time I sit on my couch and I open up his word. And if I'm tethered to that, all those outside distractions become less and less because I'm constantly immersing myself and I'm tasting his goodness because I'm getting in the word. And I think that, yeah. And I think the point is, is that the more we're in his word, when we are approached by those half truths or those full lies or, you know, deceit, then what, what do we hear? We, we hear through that 
and we hear what we have read, what we've ingested, what we digested and meditated on, you know? So remember what we were talking about last week when, uh, I think it was last week, maybe it was a week before, pragmatism, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're so drawn to these pastors that are so smart and they're great leaders and they've built these, in, these huge organizations and gosh, their, their, their life advice is just so practical and everything comes from this pragmatic angle. And all the while you're forgetting, oh, wait a minute, none of this is true. Like it feels true, it sounds true. And whenever I talked about Andy Stanley several months ago, and you know, I you said that he was a heretic because he is. One thing I talked about is I was going back and listening to video clips to sermons that I listened to the week he released them. But whenever I was listening to them back in the day, I didn't have the ears to hear the, the stuff that was being said. And you know why? Because I wasn't reading this. I wasn't in the word at all, right? What I was doing was I was listening to my favorite pastors and checking the box and calling it good. I was going to the mega church and, you know, going to the concert and the TED talk and checking the box and calling it good. But I wasn't looking at the Bible for myself. I wasn't marinated in it. So when something that was said is literally abiblical, it is anti what we learn in the Bible, I wasn't ready to call it out. I didn't even recognize it. So I couldn't taste and see that the taste or see that the Lord was good because I wasn't eating it and I wasn't looking. This is one of my favorite quotes, and this is what just made me think of this. Walter Martin, he said, the existence of the counterfeit predicates the authenticity of the original. Mm. You can understand that something is counterfeit only, only if you are fully engrossed and understand the original. And it's just like counterfeit money. Tellers don't, tellers don't deal with counterfeit money. All they, all they deal with is real money. Yep. And so the first counterfeit bill, boom, that's a counterfeit bill because they know, they know the real thing so well. And I think that's a call to us. Know the word, know the real thing, know the real Jesus. Sometimes Jesus says stuff we don't like, but if we know what he says and we know that it's true, we can spot a counterfeit from a mile away. Yeah, and getting rid of bad habits is, it, you don't have to replace it with another habit. You're just replace it with something better, you know, and God's word is better. And if you don't leave margin for the other stuff, then. Well, and just think about whenever I pitched you guys on doing this and Dagan, you were the most recent person that I pitched on, hey, come on, come and do this thing. And Part of it was, as I told you guys, in 2022, I had my most prolific year reading books ever. I read 53 books in that year. And I mean, these are between 200 and 500 pages. And that is what I did. I didn't watch a lot of sports. I didn't, I didn't binge watch any television shows. I read. And I did that to the redounding benefit of the interviews I did with the authors of those books. Because I actually read the books. I could go from one argument to the next. I could string together questions that were way better than the generic, well, how'd you become a writer? And, you know, what was it about this book that you want the audience to know? It was like really in-depth stuff, right? But I can guarantee you that I didn't read 53 chapters of the Bible. Mm -hmm. I read 53 books written by earthly authors, and I got a tremendous amount of value from most of those books. Mm -hmm. But then I didn't do 53 chapters at all. And that tremendous inequity was so convicting. And there wasn't like a sermon I listened to and I didn't, you know, have coffee with a buddy. And then all of a sudden I felt, you know, convicted. It was like, wait a minute, this is wrong, wrong, wrong. And I could feel that I was, I know a lot about culture and I can push back darkness and culture, but I'm losing the foundation by which I'm able to differentiate between morally good and morally bad because I wasn't going to the book that teaches those lessons to begin with. That's why, that's what helped birth the forging table to where it's like, I want to swing the pendulum back in the other direction. And I want to say no. And I've said no to so many interviews this year because I was like, that's probably a book. I'm not going to get a lot of value out of it, but I'm a moron. I'm going to read every single page of it. Or I can get another book, dig in. And guys, we have, we have the forging table planned out through like Easter of next year. We've got some amazing things coming for the forging table, but that's how my mind's thinking now is how many more 
commentaries could I read? How much more time could I spend in the word mm-hmm. itself as opposed to reading some generic book about, you know, how to be a better leader Con- or something? Conviction. That's the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit is awesome because the Holy Spirit can, can convict us to be that. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. That's true. And when people say they don't have enough time to read the Bible, myself included, I don't want anybody to hear me saying something that I, that I wouldn't qualify myself. I, I, I've been this and I, I still struggle with this. It's not that we don't have time to read the Bible. It's that we don't make time to read the Bible. If we spent half the time we spend binge watching shows, we'd read the Bible in a month, oh, man. The whole thing, all sixty-six oh, sure. books, and so binge read the Bible. Yeah, it it just it's about where where is your heart, and what what do you care about? What do you take time? What are you intentional with? Well, and some some of it's our. I mean, most of it is our fault <clears throat> on the margin side of things. I mean, six out of ten. This is two hundred thousand people that were surveyed and asked asked questions about their personal walk with Jesus say that they are too busy to have a deep relationship with God. And so the conclusion was that that hurriedness in our life then impedes our relationship or the depth of our relationship with with God, which then makes us more apt to be conforming to the ways of the world, which then leads to more hurry because that's what the world wants us to do, which then we just repeat that cycle over and over and over again. So you're talking about the condition of the heart, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. Mm. Yeah. Right? And then jump down to verse 10. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. Right? Like, your law is in my heart, but I'm not keeping it there. Like, I'm going to turn, and I'm not, I'm not just going to hide it there and keep it there for myself. Mm. Like, I'm sharing this. I'm sharing it. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak it out. And, man, it's... it's that's where you can start running into people and like, there's something different about that person. Well, they're taking time to read the word and it compels itself out of you. And the cool thing about that is I remember, cause I didn't grow up in church, but I remember, you know, going to church camp and it's like all the kids at school should know that there's something different about you. And then they're going to come up to you and ask you about it. And you're going to be like, Here's a gospel track, and you know, like that's that's where this is. I'm all glad be. you asked me. <laughs> but you know, I remember somebody pointed out, like, has that ever happened where someone came up and said, "Hey, you're so different. What is it about you?" It's that because you're absolutely right, Dagan. But it's that extra step of being bold about, "Hey, I'm not just a guy that dresses nice and doesn't cheat on my taxes or my wife." Like, it's deeper than that. So I'm reminded of the times that I've been able to be blessed in the presence of Phil Robertson, right? So, so the, the patriarch of the Duck Dynasty clan and, you know, Duck Commander and all that, that man doesn't study the Bible. That man does not uh, do Bible memorization. He doesn't do anything that formal. He just reads it mm. all the time. And if you listen to the Unshamed podcast, and if you sit there and have a conversation with him, if you listen to the interview I did with him last year, it just comes mm. out of him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so do you, have you ever had that moment where you get really, really angry and you say some things out loud and you're like, I didn't know that was in there. It's like everybody else knew that was in mm-hmm. there. And it's like, and if you thought for any length of time, that would be what's in there. But whenever his glass gets tipped, scripture comes out. Yep. And I was like, oh man, that dude has spent decades. And this is a dude that babies out of wedlock that, you know, cheated on his wife multiple times, a horrible person. He was a terrible person until Jesus said, no mas. 
like, and just snatched him up out of that. But it's because he spends so much time digging into the word that it just is part of his everyday conversation. That's how he's different. He's not just different because he's nice. He's different because he meets you and he'll be like, boy, do you know Jesus? And that's a way different conversation. Yeah. It comes through hearing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and it's coming out from an overflow of the heart, right? The overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, um, I had somewhere where I was going with, oh yeah, uh, bringing up Jeremiah again. I don't, he, there was one point where he had been, um, they had burned his scrolls. They had stuck him in the mud. They put him in stocks. They thought he was going to die, you know? And he, one time he walks away and I don't remember the verse exactly. Doesn't matter, but he just is like, God, like what, <laughs> what is going on? I don't know if I can do this anymore. This is absolutely terrible. And then there's a pause and he says, but I have to, I have to, because if I don't, my bones are going to burn through me mm. to get that message out. And so that's what I see here. It's like I, I had a, I had a professor in college and he, you know, he said, if, if you say, you know, something, then you need to be able to teach it to someone. If you cannot teach it to someone else, you don't know it. Mm. You know? So one of the things I do is as I'm reading the word, I am, uh, of course, ingesting it and dissecting it and meditating on it and whatnot. But then I, I want to teach somebody. I want to tell somebody. So I've got great opportunities with what I do to be able to do that. So I, I just pick out, you know, one or two or three people throughout the day. But going back to what you were saying, you know, you're right. Nobody's going to come up to you and say, can I have a gospel track? Um, that's not going to happen. So it's never happened like to anybody else? No. Okay, no. got it. But people will say things. And you know, it, you, it, you've heard it if you've been around long enough that people will say things um, like, man, this is such a great atmosphere. You know, my, my work, it's just, this is a great atmosphere. It's just so different, you know, and, and it, that, that's what they're saying. There, there's something different. They're not necessarily saying, give me a gospel track, but, but people do recognize that. So there, there is hope in that. There's like a scent there as well. I, I forget what it's like. No, no, like I, I don't mean this necessarily. Your, your place smells like musk, but like, the, but like imagine walk, when you walk into a household, this, maybe I'm the only guy and then we can just move past this and make this as least awkward as possible. No, but when you chance. walk into a household and you may not have the language for this, but the man practices spiritual headship mm. over the household. The woman is deeply loved and cared for and discipled. The children are deeply loved and cared for and discipled and catechized in the ways of the Lord. You walk into a house like that, it doesn't just feel different. It smells different. Mm. And that's not just the, the pie bacon in the oven. Like it's just, it's got a different thing in the air. And I think I'm reminded of another thing. And I, I don't know if I'm allowed to use the names, but there was a situation with some people that, that we know and some pastors that I know they were invited to come over to a house where uh, it was a Satanist house. Like, so this was a guy who. Oh, that's all public. Uh, you can use that. Okay. So the, this. That's all public out yeah, there. Yeah. So <laughs> this, I'll just describe the story to, to not muddy the waters and you can feel free to hop in as well. But this, this man was a practicing Satanist doing uh, ritualistic sacrifices with animals, uh, blood work, uh, taking satanic documents and taking them into churches and putting them in the pews, like has had been, you know, he said he, he was able to gain powers, like he had powers of manipulation over people, specifically women, all these different things. And I specifically talked to, I think, two of the pastors personally that came over to this guy's house one night to have a little bit of a, an intervention, I'll call it. I won't call it, you know, like a full-on exorcism, but an intervention with this guy. And I remember one guy, he said it, and th- this had happened years prior, and I'm, I'm listening to him describe the story. And he's like, Kyle, the moment I walked in the door, I could feel. Yeah the spiritual oppression. Mm. 
it was like there was a weight on my chest that there, there was a heaviness in the building. And I, like, I literally just like gave myself mm-hmm. goosebumps. Like mm-hmm. there was, there were literally like a weight. And then I've talked to other men since then that have had similar like experiences with kind of darkness and waking up in the middle of the night after a nightmare and they're being held down by mm-hmm. like a spiritual force. Like they can't get out of bed. And this isn't a continuation of the dream. They're awake. Like yeah. they're, they're fully awake. But again, you, you think about that. So this goes all the way back to what you said, Dagan. It's like, hey, something's different about you. That goes to both extremes. When you walk into a place where the oppression is so thick, you can barely breathe. But also when you walk into a place where the light mm. is so bright that everything feels, tastes, smells better. Mm-hmm. Our witness should help for sure. Well, to, to your story, he was delivered from Satan, this guy. And now he preaches that. And so he is a, he is a, a walking depiction of verse 10. I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. He's, he goes and tells people, God snatched me up and said, no mas. Yeah. The guy's name is Michael Lee. Yeah, he's, he, he's, he's an unbelievable human being. Um, not, not by anything that he's done. He'll tell you, like he is, he literally was animal sacrifice. You name it. Any, any stereotype you might have of a Satanist, he was doing it. And you you talk to him now, it you would you would Doesn't never make sense. you would never know you'd be you'd laugh if you just met him. And he Matt, told the you first that. time I met him, we're around a, a table. It was like a group of guys I, that are all kind of doing pseudo ministry stuff. I'm probably 22, 23 years old, and we're all introducing ourselves. Like, hi, I'm Kyle. I graduated from UCL. I got a degree in this guy's. Hey, uh, my name is Michael. I used to be a Satanist. Uh, I was arrested for trying to kill Pastor Craig Rochelle. Um, like all these different like, and I'm just like, bro. Like, can we save that for later in the meeting? Like, we're just doing intro. Stop showing off. But it's like, when you meet that guy and you hear his story, it's preposterous because it doesn't make sense. You don't see that. But I think we've all been around enough people in our lives where you see something in somebody and you're like, that guy's bad news. Like, and there's just something about that guy. And yeah. I think I've told this story on the story on the podcast before, but Matt and I had a buddy in college. Well, he wasn't a buddy in college. His, he was a guy who was brought to the UCO hockey team to fight. He was the enforcer. He was literally brought, yeah. he, had, he had a gang background, very, very rough dude, worked out every day, got in fights constantly, but somehow was able to stay in school and stay on the team. Well, uh, a couple of years after we had graduated, I'm walking through the produce section of Walmart with my, my wife at the time. We'd been married for a little bit. And I see this guy, his name was, uh, I don't know if I can use his name either. I'm like you, you weird. Did. I think you, I think you did. <laughs> okay. We just called him Fuchs. That was his nickname. I think, that's what, I think that's what you said. But he literally, like I see him, he's over by like the broccoli and I'm in the peppers and then he sees me and then he just starts making a beeline over towards me. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> oh no. What did I say? What did I do? I didn't know anything about fighting at the time. And so it's like, he just comes right up to me. But the thing that was interesting about him is like, he had kind of like weird eyes, like very, very intense eyes. Yeah. And he was that guy that would like, he would just as soon shake your hand as punch you in the face. Like he was just, he would go off half cocked all the time. But I remember, I can remember it to this day, sitting in the Walmart on I-35 in Edmond, Oklahoma. And he's looking at me and there's like a brightness in his eyes. And I'm like, this is weird. And he goes, Kyle, Kyle, I, I, man, it's so good to see you, dude. Um, I, I don't know. Has anyone told you about Jesus? Like this guy, like I, I just need to, if no one's told you about him, I need to tell you about Jesus. And I was like, like, what? What? Like, is this he, some sort of joke? Are you going to like take me on the parking lot because you want to give, he wants to give me a Bible track, but he's actually going to hit me in the head with a hammer and then take my wife. Like, but it's, that's what happens when Jesus snatches you up. He put a new song in my mouth. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and, what a and, great story. and how foolish are we to think that we could contain it, right? That that song that he gives us is for us, but it's not 
ours. It's for his glory. Yeah. Right. Like he gave a new, he gave me a new song and I can't, I can't not sing it. And when I sing it, like he said, uh, where does it say? Um, oh shoot. Um, new song in my mouth. Many will see and put their trust in the Lord. It's like, Hey, Many are gonna many are gonna be attracted to that. It's my song that I've put in your mouth. When right? he dug out our ears, he also dug the canal for our vocal cords. Yeah, and like yeah. Oh, like he's the reason for that. And so that's why when you tell people, well, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not a preacher, or I'm not an expositor, or I'm not a whatever. When you, like we're going through our gifts right now in our in our Sunday school, and it's like every gift you were given is for His glory. Yeah, that doesn't mean you have to be a pastor or a worship leader or a missionary. Sure. It's like. God gave you legs that move really fast and you're going to run for his glory and that type of thing. Yeah. Um, so I have a question for you guys, because as, as we talked about from the top, this particular Psalm is broken down. First 10 verses are Thanksgiving and then 11 through 17 are lamentation. <clears throat> Excuse me. Is this a, is this a style? Is this how we should style our prayers after? Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, starting with Thanksgiving and going until you feel like you've, you know, wrung that out, wrung, you know, that towel out and then move on to lamentation because the Lord understands the cries of our hearts and, and our desires and things like that. Those desires typically come from the lamentation side. Because I'll say for me, I don't really do that. Like I'm teaching my son to pray, but he's two. So he's stupid. So he doesn't know that prayers are dumb or good or not. He just kind of repeats what daddy says, but all of ours are Thanksgiving. Do y'all model your prayer life as Thanksgiving than lamentation? Like, how, how does that work for y'all? I mean, you you attach to that almost immediately. Oh, right? sure, yeah. Uh, well, when I when I was being discipled, my disciple maker introduced me to ACTS, which is very common. Most people know that. I mean, it's adoration, confession, Thanksgiving, and supplication. The idea being that you start off by telling God how wonderful He is, what He's done, who He is, um, His attributes, what whatever before you get in to confession. Now, there are times that I have switched it up and we'll do C-A-T-S because I just realized I made a big boo-boo and need to confess it. But I think, you know, one of the things that David may be doing is he's re- being reminded and, re- and reminding God as if he needs it, that he has been faithful, that he is a good God and that um, there's a lot that David should be praising him for. And now that I've said that, I need to confess my sins, you know, <laughs> so it's kind of leading up into that, you know, so my, my question then as he goes into that lament was, you know, what does confession look like? What does true confession look like? Cause I know in my household with my kids, it, it has been in the past, it's almost a forced confession. You know, if they, they do something wrong, it's like, tell your sister, you're sorry. I'm sorry. And then we move <laughs> on now. You know what I say? I was like, I'll, I'll tell them, Hey, you really should you should be sorry, but I'm, you don't need to say it for my benefit. When you're ready, I want you to, want you to deal with that. You know what? Sometimes they don't do it. And sometimes they do. They come back later and do that. So anyways, what, is, what do you, not to change it, because I want us to continue to talk on that, but that would be kind of a sidebar question what, about what I, true repentance. Well, I think that's what God wants. Like the first words uttered after the fall were, where are you? So God's looking for us. Yeah. He wants to find us. He already knows what we did. He wasn't asking, he wasn't looking for Adam to, to, because he didn't know what he did and he wants us to confess. So there's this, the creator of the universe who is still, after this creature he made out of dust, disobeyed him, 
which the right just conclusion of that was death. And still he said, where are you? I want to know where you are. Tell me what you did. I still want this relationship with you. So, and, and again, Jesus says that he kind of models his prayer, that the, the prayer he tells us to, yeah, to, yeah, to pray. That's exactly right. Like it starts with, yes, God is the God of the universe. He's also personal. Mm-hmm. Like you created the world, but you also saved me from sin and death. You know, so that's where I think you got to start there for sure. When, when a kid walks in the room and they're acting like really nice. And it's like, <laughs> like as Everyone a parent, teenager, like, like, yeah, every, every, kids yeah, and, should probably know where you're going. And this. every, every parent's like, what'd you do? You know, it's like, I kind of feel like, no, it's I like, just love you, dad. No, you don't. Yeah, what it's, like, it's like, I, you know, I feel like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pray, you know, father, you are, you are good. And I can just see him going, oh man, <laughs> here it comes. Here it comes. Uh, but it is, it's like, he knows what I've done. But it's like I, when I've caught my kids, I know I know what's happened. My, the, I, I'm older. I'm wiser. I put all the pieces together. I already know what happened. But I need them to say it. I need I need them to practice the humility, the uh, you know, um, to take responsibility. And I need to hear them acknowledge true repentance, their repentance, their mistake, yeah. right? Um, and and it, t- it kids aren't good at getting there immediately. You know, they, they dig themselves a little bit deeper, right? right. Like we've all done that. It's Shoot, like adults yeah. can still yeah. be there. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's thank goodness we don't have a God that has that, like my attitude, you know, if, if my son crew walks into the room and he's, he's being awkwardly kind or, or complimentary to me, like there's a catch, you know? And it's like, man, it's like, you know, the adoration first and supplication last, like, it's like, is that the catch to like, I'm going to praise you, but like, I'm really messed up. He knew that, yeah. right? but he just wants us to say it because it, it, it shows him that we acknowledge our reliance on him. Well, and also Dagan, isn't it true that we will hear the depictions of Adam and Eve early on in Genesis and we're like, you morons, you're hiding from God. He can see you, but then we will <laughs> act as if God doesn't know what we just did. Right. For sure. Doesn't know our, cause it's not just the stuff that we did. It's the stuff that we thought. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing that gets me. It's, it's like, I know my thoughts. No one else knows my thoughts. You think you know my thoughts because you listen to me scream into a microphone for an hour or two once a week. No, you have no idea the level of depravity that a person's brain and imagination can go to in the internal dialogue. God knows all of it. You got nothing. You can't hide anything. But I, I don't say that as a negative thing. That's a positive thing, guys. Yeah. So when you're going into your prayer and you're talking to the creator God of the universe, recognize that he already knows. That doesn't mean you shouldn't tell him, but he already knows. Because I know that there are really good parents out there. They already know that you backed into the garage. Yep. They already know that you got kicked off the football team. They already know, and you know they already know. But they want to hear you say it. Have you been but, talking to my parents? No, <laughs> no but, like, but like that, that's the thing. Is like you, you, want them, you want them to say it. Because a good father wants yep. their son or daughter to come to them and say, this is what I've done. I'm so sorry. Because it but, gives the father the opportunity to say, I, I love you and I forgive you. Right. right? It's, also, like, it's also an invitation to how we treat other people. Like it's a, vertical, it's a vertical relationship, but it should come out in a horizontal way. And if we're constantly reminding ourselves of the grace 
and the patience that God has with us, we should be putting that right back out there with our kids, with people, our friends, our spouses, because God is rich in mercy to me. Right. How could I not be rich in mercy to others? Am I quick to condemn somebody when they do something wrong? How arrogant of me when God says, I literally could kill you because like that, that would be the only just thing to do to a sinner who Mm. is depraved, but I don't because I'm merciful and I love you. But then we go, dude, what a jerk. Never going to talk to that guy again. But it makes you, it makes you quick to forgive though. Yeah. Because like the quick to forgiveness thing, like I don't remember if it was this week or on last week's show when I talked about how I just, I have an unbelievable distaste for deceit. I can't stand it. It like, it really grinds my gears. Deceit does. But here, you know, not that long ago, there was a guy that I really trusted. I've trusted for a very long time that deceived me to my face on multiple occasions. Then I found out about it and then I called him out. And then he, to his credit, like a man, came to me and like we talked about it in my driveway to face to face. And he said, I did. I did deceive you. And it was one of those moments where it was like, in my, my very first thing was like, oh, I'm so smart. I figured this <laughs> out. I'm Matlock. And I, I figured out the mystery and, and I, I called col- him on maybe, it maybe and I was right. Ignoring the last hundred times that I was not even in the same ballpark as what I thought I was. But that was, to be honest, that was my very first thought. But my next thought was I'm going to forgive him the moment he shuts up. Mm-hmm. And so he's going through and he's him and hawing his apology and he's, you know, he's intimidated and blah, blah, blah. Because it's a weird spot. Like you, you got caught with your pants down. And as soon as he was done, I was like, all right, man, I forgive you. Like, and then he started apologizing again. And then I kind of let him. And then I was like, I, I, no, okay. Yeah, I forgive you. Then he, like, if I'm lying, I'm dying. He starts apologizing again. And then I cut him off and I go, I can't forgive you more than I've forgiven you. I can't super duper forgive you. I forgive you. That really, really sucks. You know, that doesn't mean that, you know, I think about you the same way. Obviously I have categories of people. You're, a cat, you're in the category of people that have deceived me before. You know, I'll have to deal with that over time, but I've forgiven you for what you've done. I was so quick to forgive. And part of it was because my posture was in the right place that and not the posture of, well, I am a non-deceiver and you are a deceiver. And so I am now above you. I am number mm. one ranked. You are number two ranked. It was not that it was like, bro, I've been in your spot before. I just haven't been called out. And man, if these roles were reversed right now, I would super duper hope that you would forgive me wicked fast. And, well, you know so, what I mean? so in verse 12, man, like you, th- that's a great example. Middle of verse 12, it says, my iniquities have overtaken me mm-hmm. and I cannot see. It's like, like the shame of sin will blind you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it, it, it's, it's, I'm wearing the shame and I, I, I hear I'm sorry but I don't, it doesn't compute. Right. Right. I heard what you said. And it says there are more, they are more than the hairs on my head and my heart fails me. It's like when you are in that place, like I, you know, and, and there are places where you see, you know, people throughout the Bible and they are broken. Yeah. Right. And it is like, uh, I, I can see being in that position. I can see standing in front of Jesus, just apologizing because I, I'm, I don't deserve, like my affliction doesn't deserve to reflect his goodness. But, no. he, but he's still good. So my son is super obsessed with C.S. Lewis, the, the Chronicles of Narnia. And so we're, we're reading um, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And there's this character, his name's Eustace. He's very smart, um, knows a lot. He's very intellectual. He doesn't know any stories. So in, in this book, he, 
he goes through the, the sin of greed. He comes upon this cave in Narnia and he discovers this treasure. And he's like, oh my gosh, I could, I could do a lot of things with this treasure here. He turns into a dragon. Well, then the, the only way he can turn back into a human is through Aslan, who is Jesus. He's the Christ figure, the God figure in the, in the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, as I think Kyle was talking about last week. Um, I think it was last week. Um, anyway, he, he sees Aslan and Aslan says, come into the, go into the water to, to take off your skin. He's taken off his dragon skin. He peels a layer off and he gets into the water and then he sees, oh, oh my gosh, I'm still a dragon. Okay, I'm going to take off another layer and another layer. And he can't get off the dragon skin. He keeps getting back in the water to be healed and he's still a dragon. And then Aslan says, I have to do it. And mm. he ta- he's like, man, I, this lion claw is about to just ravage mm. me. That's not the exact words, but... But he's, it, it feels so good, but he cuts so deep, mm. and my skin is so raw. But, it, but the, the only way I could get through it was that I knew it felt so good, and it was the right, it was the right, right thing, thing, that he peeled off that, the whole dragon skin, and then he gets in the water, and he's, and he's healed. And gosh, we just sit in there. God is so good that he preserves us anyway. Well, there's, there's a huge connection between that story and what you were talking about. You use the word affliction. There's a connection between affliction and depravity. And we live in an era where even in Christendom, a lot of people, a lot of churches, they don't want to talk about your depravity. They don't want to talk about your sin. But earlier this year, I talked to Brittany Delamora. She spent seven years as a different name, her porn name, because she was a porn star for seven years. One of the most sought after, uh, you know, top ranked, you know, uh, super rich, like she was everything in the porn industry. And now she's a Christian minister. That's like helping save women and men out of the pornography industry Mm -hmm. and people out of sex trafficking because Christ snatched her up one day and said, no mas said, no, like that's it. But when I had a conversation with her on the podcast, go back and listen to the interview. I think it was back in January. She understands depravity more than I do. That doesn't mean she was a worse sinner than me. I mean, she went further down the rabbit hole than I did, but I was a consumer of her business, not like her specifically, but when I was in my twenties looking at porn and masturbating, I was a consumer of pornography. I was a pursuer, a consumer of adult entertainment, right? And so that's where my stuff stopped, but she was in deeper. Like she was addicted to drugs and she was witness to a lot of crime. She was witness to a murder. Like she was, she was in that life and she had no hope. She tried to kill herself on multiple occasions, and oddly enough, it didn't quite work out. And now look at what she's doing. Mm-hmm. She's going to porn shows saying, sister, I know what you're doing. I know that that's not your manager. I know that that's your pimp, and I know that you have to make X amount of dollars per day. And if you're not filming today, that means that you have to go to the back pages and you have to prostitute yourself to make that amount of money. Because you know, if you make 2X what your daily allowance is, that doesn't roll over to tomorrow. You have to make that amount of money tomorrow. Well, I can't have that conversation, but she can because she understands affliction to depravity. And so her grace in the covering of of the the blood of the lamb covering her depravity, you have to understand your level of depravity before you can really understand the the tremendous amount of that free gift. But go ahead. Well, we're all down in the pit at some point with stuck in the mire. Right. And 
Hermeyer is going to, you know, God's going to rescue her from that, put her on a rock, and that is going to speak to an audience. And that's why God had that, like, that scenario for her to set her on a rock. Right. And make her footsteps firm. But, but you know, my, Meyer's different. Some people struggle with, you know, infidelity in marriage, and they just can't seem to, to figure that aspect out. Some people are, are you know, it's greed or theft, and it's, it's all just the mire that God rescues you from. And gosh, what a, when, when you are in the mire and you are crying out, right? And you're, some people don't have to wait as long as others. You know, David's talks about, I waited patiently for you and you heard my cry. And then he sets you on the rock. You know, it's being free to the dragon skin, right? It's all of a sudden, it's like, you know, how can, and he puts a new song in your mouth. You know, it's like that, that's, that's the entire you know, aspect of why I love this Psalm is that is, man, like he doesn't, he doesn't. And, and like I said, like, he, I don't think he rescues you out of the mire for your own comfort. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't rescue you out to say, Hey, you, you're no longer in that, in, in the world of pornography. Yeah. He rescues you out. He puts your feet on stable ground and the new song in your mouth is the battle cry that you yell as you run into it. And it's all for his glory. And I know Kyle would agree with me 100%. We, have, we, we don't do anything. God just snatches us up. And we don't get to, we don't get to hold out our hand. It's Calvinist. All, we're, Calvinist. Like, we made it. We're in a pit. We're 55 <laughs> minutes into this nonsense, and you just decide to pull that out. So I'm just going to just ignore that nonsense. We'll deal with that at some other date. Well, I want to talk about verse. No, no, no. Yeah. No, no, no. We're moving, we're moving on past it, you jack wagons. I want to read verse 16 here. Because... There, there should be a point to our thanksgiving, but there should also be a goal to our lament. Mm. And verse 16 is the goal to our lament, or at least the goal to David's lament here. Sure. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. So 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, lament, 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 lament. This sucks, this sucks, this sucks. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then verse 16, there's a point to it. I, in... I wasn't planning on saying this, but here we go. Call it the Holy Spirit, call it gas, whatever. Um, I know there are people listening to this podcast right now. You do not see the point in your struggle. You do not see, you, not only do you not see a way out, you see no purpose for it. And when you hear people describe bad things happening to good people, natural disasters, terrorist attacks, hurricanes that you know, wipe out entire population groups, you think to yourself in your high and mighty state, how could a good God possibly let something like that happen? Not only are you taking the viewing seat of God, which means you can see every single possible angle to that situation, and that being a very narcissistic and arrogant place to be, what you're saying is, is in this exact moment, there is no point that I can surmise from this suffering. But what I can guarantee you, not knowing anything about you, not knowing anything about your story, is there is a redeemable quality to your story. I just gave you an example with Brittany Delamore. And you, you drove it home with your point, Stegan, as well. There is something there in your suffering that can be used for God's glory. But it will also be to your redounding benefit because you will be able to spend eternity with him as you're experiencing that glory as well. And so for those of you that are, that are in the thick of it right now, this isn't some believe it and achieve it, achieve it, name it and claim it. This isn't some, you know, it'll be all okay later. It sucks. It really, really sucks. But you're not going through this for nothing. I want, to, I want to rest in that for a second because you said at the end, you said for your eternal salvation. So maybe that's not exactly what you said. 
but even if even if we don't even if even if God saves us and we come out of our pit even if that doesn't get used to save anybody it's still to God's glory mm-hmm. and so I, I I know you're not saying this Kyle but we shouldn't we shouldn't call on God so that God can use our story and so we can go save people it is us who needs saving right and if that's the only thing that gets brought out of that all glory be to God if God chooses to use that to save people to his glory and that's even better but how sweet is it it's, it's, it's for his glory that we're saved well and going into verse 17 to wrap up wrap up the end you know he says as for me I am poor and needy right it's it's no matter no matter your circumstance whether you're in the mire or you're sitting up on the rock like you that is you in both mm-hmm. of those situations, yep. we are poor and we are needy. And that's, <clears throat> that's where all of us are and that's where all of us should remember because even if you're not going through it right now, how long until your next trip? How long until your next trip through that valley? You know, maybe you got through the valley quickly last time, but the next valley might be the one that takes you home. And for me, I want to make sure the home has a lot more light than fire. But guys, I know there's a whole lot more that we can say, but we're going to have to leave it there. But come back next Sunday where we will dig into Psalm 46, which is Eric Browning's favorite psalm. So we've gone from Dagan's to Eric Browning's. That'll be great. And make sure you guys read Psalm 46 before next week so you are prepared to read along and learn along with us. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the only link I've got for you today is the donation link. Guys, we can't pull off things like the forging table without people like you partnering with us. So if you like this content, If you want to see this type of content, get into more guys' ears. If you want to see more people be equipped to be able to push back darkness, go to that link, become a monthly donor, hop on board. We need you. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album leveler the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah